Welcome to Exponential Trust Times. I'm Dr. Lobna Kari, and it's my pleasure to host this new podcast episode of Artificial Intelligence for Exponential Business. Our audience has the privilege to meet André Balleguier, the Chief Data Science, Europe and Middle East at DataRobot, one of the great startups with a valuation of $1 billion. Our discussion will address many topics around artificial intelligence as a powerful technology for the exponential growth of businesses. Soon, in the unique first stage by Exponential Trust Times. In this episode, we invite André Balleguier sharing his AI journey and thought about the future of work to inspire our audience. André Belligré is the Chief Data Science Europe Middle East at DataRobot. Based in United Kingdom, he leads a team of 20 data scientists developing machine learning models and AI products for many industries and countries. Hi, André. Hi, Lobna. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much uh, for being with us in AI Exponential Thinker, and thank you for joining this discussion about AI for Exponential Business. Yeah, thanks a lot for inviting me. It's my pleasure. pleasure you obtained a master's degree from Central Supelec and started your career as a business analyst in Odo and C, then Credit Agricole, to find yourself a couple years later, the chief data science Europe Middle East in one of the most important startups in the world, DataRobot. Please tell us more about your experience to achieve this career in artificial intelligence. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, so basically, when I started, as you mentioned, I, I was uh, initially working in, uh, in banks, and that was uh, back in 2011, 2012. So it was a bit when the financial crisis came back. So at that time, I, I find banking interesting because of all the numbers and data I could manipulate, but I was not really, um, I didn't find a huge passion in it. So uh, I thought after a year that I had already like uh, understood well enough how the markets work, and I, I, I didn't want to work on, uh, in this field in the long term. So I, I was trying to look at new technologies and things that could uh, be of interest to me. And I started to see that around that time, in, the, in particular in the United States, uh, the large tech companies were hiring, like, uh, like that's the first time I really heard about data scientists. It was like uh, really back in the very early days of this kind of job. Uh, and, um, and I found that machine learning and artificial intelligence was uh, a key like, skill that needed to be had at that time. So... I started to really like learn about machine learning. I took a course online actually and get really passionate about it. Uh, then I took a job to be a research engineer um, in uh, machine learning in Singapore. And, uh, and I already had in mind that I wanted to work in a business context to apply machine learning and AI uh, in, uh, like, uh, to deliver value for companies. So that's really what I wanted to do. And that's my passion for data, for numbers, and for business like uh, outcomes and innovations that really drove, drove that decision. Um, so um, basically, uh, I worked a couple of years uh, at Sky as a data scientist. Sky is the largest TV broadcaster in the UK. Yeah. Uh, in London. Uh, and then I joined DataRobot. So I actually had heard about DataRobot when I was in Singapore uh, because uh, a couple of floors above me were in my instit uh, research institute. There was a, another French person who, um, uh, who was... Uh, highly okay, quite recognized data scientist uh, because he was competing on uh, a data science competition website called Kaggle. Mm -hmm. uh, he was uh, number one on that uh, website, uh, like number one globally out of thousands of data scientists. 
that's why he was famous. And I started to interact with him because he was in the same company as me. And, and so after I came back to the UK and uh, a couple of years later, um, like I, I followed what he was doing. And like funny enough, uh, when I was leaving Singapore, he was also leaving the Institute to join data. But so basically on the year it was founded. Um, right. and, uh, and so I joined data at that time, quite early stage. Um, and, uh, so like, I would say when I joined, uh, the CEO thought I probably needed a bit more experience to work with customers, but he still trusts me to basically work with our customers to, uh, to help them deliver value with AI. Uh, and so I was the first, uh, customer facing the scientist, uh, for later in Europe. Uh, and then after that, because the company grew a lot, I had to build a team doing this. Uh, so I, I, I started to hire a lot of data scientists and, uh, and consultants, and, and now I, I lead the, the EMEA, like a Europe, Middle East, and Africa practice uh, for data scientists uh, at Data Robot. Yeah. So it's a lot of dedication, hard work, and passion for your work, I would say. Yeah, it's, it's great. So, so you was before in Singapore, and then you moved to UK, right? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. Nice. And, and now you are leading a, a team of 20 data scientists, right? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we we what call them uh, customer facing data scientists. So we, we are data scientists, but we work with the data clients basically. Perfect. Uh, so in, in AI, it's Monosha Thinker. We believe that creativity is crucial for solving many social and business issues. That's what, what is your most innovative side, Andre, and what's keep you enthusiastic in a in a daily basis, and especially in these times of of pandemic and uncertainty. Yeah. I would say, I mean, even though it's called data science, data science is not really a science, it's much more of an art. Uh, because the reason for this is first, there is, there is never a single solution uh, for a problem. So you have a business problem and you always have thousands of ways you could solve it. Uh, like basically the, the art of data science is really uh, um, that you, have, you never know before you test an idea with your data, what will work or what will not work. But it's kind of having the sense of being able to uh, have a sufficient and a good enough flair and good sense to make the right decisions uh, on your models and on your, like, uh, your data science projects that allows you to deliver quickly. And so uh, acquiring like, uh, the right, let's say, best practices uh, and this, this sense, that's this art that allows you to deliver quickly is really uh, critical to be a good data scientist. And um, so what keeps me passionate about it is really the fact that First, uh, yeah, there's no single solution. I like problem solving. So really like uh, being able to add value to companies with like tools, like mathematical tools. I mm -hmm. find it like quite beautiful as a, as a discipline. So again, it's an art, it's not a science. So there's no single process. You have to find the right process. So it's much more, I would say, an art or an engineering discipline. Uh, and, uh, and third is uh, the fact that it's, uh, if you want to be efficient as data scientists, you have to be highly collaborative and communicative. Uh, I like people, I like talking to people and interacting with the business is critical uh, you know, to, for you to deliver a data science projects. So that's what keeps me really enthusiastic about, about this discipline. Yeah. Great. So we said like few, few words about data robots. So data robot is founded on 2012 uh, in Boston. And according to the company, the total funding on September 2019 was $431 million and it has a pre-money valuation of $1 billion. You joined the startup on 2015 in UK uh, to build the data science team. 
How was this journey so far, uh, either on the recruiting side or the technical one? And yeah. can you tell us more about a typical day of the chief data science team? Yeah, indeed. So um, recruiting and the technical journey, I would say, um, first, recruiting data scientists is considered as hard. Um, I think there was, uh, let's, let's be clear, there was a lot of exaggeration a few years ago around the data scientists being unicorns. I, I, I think they are hard to find. They are not unicorns. Like a unicorn is impossible to find. However, um, first finding data scientists is like in the right skill sets. Uh, so it's a mix of, you know, like engineering, computer science, mathematical and business skills, all of that combined is hard to find. Uh, but then finding good data scientists who are actually able to deliver projects and deliver value, it's even harder. Uh, so I'd say um, like, like all good data science, uh, so, and, and for, for me, like in my case, what I need to hire is a team of customer facing data scientists. So you have this customer facing component. So you need all of these skill sets of someone who is focused on delivering value uh, and is able to deliver solutions and knows the, the, the math, the, like the, uh, the programming part and, and everything. But also you need a customer orientation, someone who is passionate about solving problems for customers. Like, so there is a bit of a sales aspect, a consulting aspect, uh, and also project management aspect that needs to be added on top of it. So it's, it is really hard. Uh, I'd say for each role that I opened, there were like sometimes hundreds of candidates and I was interviewing like 20, 30 candidates before finding one single person. So a lot of my time, um, is like, uh, especially until, until 2019, a lot of my time was spent on recruiting. I started yeah. to really recruit um, in 2000, I think the first one, in, like late 2016, uh, and then every every uh, like couple of months, I was bringing someone new on board in the team. Yeah. Um, so um, I'd say like uh, first, like all good data scientists, a customer facing scientist needs to be have very good business orientation. Yeah. So just playing around with machine learning, it's it's funny, but it's not very useful. Where a lot of companies get stuck in what we, what I would call experimental AI, uh, and what they need is really to move to industrial AI to really generate value with it. So like just doing experiments does not help. So you need people who are actually able to uh, and and focused on delivering and focused on uh, on solving business problems and actually putting something in production, not just um, experimenting. Uh, also, good communication skills are critical so like it makes it makes it hard so how like how to do it like yeah it's a lot of I'd say hard work dedication yeah. uh, so I was very harsh on selecting uh, like uh, candidates based on the CV whenever I was seeing a CV that was just a list of technologies or skills uh, I would typically just filter them out like what I want to see is really people who are passionate about solving problems using the right tools obviously but the tools for me at the end of the day is secondary because what really matters is about delivering and solving projects. So um, yeah, the passion and business acumen must really transpire in the CV. And uh, if a candidate tells me first about what model they use, instead of like telling me first about what business problem they've solved, uh, like typically it's not a good sign for me. Yeah, so um, what's the daily life uh, of a chief data scientist? Um, my role has evolved from an individual contributor to a leader uh, in, in data robot. So I'd say today, probably 50% of my time is on managing the team, so people management. So I have a team lead as well within my team. Uh, so it's about like, uh, uh, like ensuring that they have all the guidance they need uh, to be efficient at their job, uh, ensuring that uh, if there are like any blockers, I'm going to resolve them or give them guidance. Um, so a lot of management, I would say probably 50% operational management. 
probably 20% on leadership. Uh, so really like uh, um, ensuring that the team is aligned and uh, everyone follows like the company direction, uh, changing processes and everything that would allow like every, uh, everyone to shine and to be developed. Uh, and then like they still in my job, uh, a bit of hands-on. So I still work with a few clients, um, less hands-on than before. Obviously I do much more like a, kind of a leadership presence in the, with the clients now uh, more than hands-on, but uh, I still work on a few business problems, uh, provide uh, advice on solutions and delivery. Uh, and I also coordinate resources for large projects. So yeah, that's what I do. Great. And like we talk about the recruiting side and how it's important that data scientists know a little bit or much more, let's say, or let's find a balance between the part of uh, machine learning, uh, modeling and everything, but also yeah. about the business. And th this is what you talk about. It's very important that on top of the knowledge on machine learning, they need to understand how to talk to the customer, how to uh, think, uh, uh, develop the critical thinking and, and find the, the solution and, 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 you know, and understand the business issue in order to propose a solution. So you talk about this part, but what about the technical um, aspect or issue that you are facing in your, in your role? Yeah, so the technical uh, aspects that I'm facing, uh, so typically uh, it's uh, like, you mean, do you mean technical when I work with a client and solve a business problem or do you mean technical like kind of internally and processes? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm much more talking about internally, but keep, keep it, let's keep it large uh, yeah. and tell us what you want to talk about when, you, when we talk about technical. Yeah, sure. Uh, so first, uh, there are a few things. Um, data about we are an AI uh, enterprise AI platform. Uh, so one of the, like I would say, more technical challenges to ensure that my team is always up to date on like our own platform because we have some somewhere around like three four hundred engineers who develop our products so it's really yeah product gets uh, like wider and wider as we speak like two years ago to now the product is has so many new components so it's really yeah. ensuring that from a technical perspective my team is fully enabled uh, so it's about uh, I, I basically did like uh, this uh, uh, like um, uh, make people in my team technical owners where for each product component that's less significant enough, I, they have to follow and ensure that everyone is enabled. So you have like some enablement processes that need to be built. You have, a, I also question uh, some of their behaviors that they have with clients when they position some parts of the product instead of, of others. I ensure that they map well, uh, basically uh, the, 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 uh, the, the customer pain points uh, to solutions that we can provide to the customer. So all of this is really enablement. So it's a lot of coaching. It's a lot of like, let's say monitoring as well uh, and uh, building processes so that people can be enabled and also um, ensuring that um, uh, people keep up to date. So uh, there are new machine learning techniques, trends, uh, new techniques around data prep. I ensure that everyone keeps up to date with those technologies all the time. Uh, so that's really one of my focus and I, I can't do it alone. I have to do it with people in my team who I can trust. So I have in my team both people managers and also technical, technical leaders as well. Uh, so it's really like those two components like, uh, that, that uh, allows to have like, a, a good mix uh, of leadership within, within a team. Um, then when it comes to clients, so all client situations are different. So I, I've been working with hundreds of clients uh, since I joined DataRobot. So my experience is, oh, oh, and, and point of view is, is often valued. Uh, so I, I sometimes deep dive into specific customer situations or business problems uh, and help like, uh, the, the people in my team resolve them. Uh, so um, we hire people who are 
usually quite experienced already, let's say four or five years of experience in applied data science. Uh, and I am sure that uh, they first keep up to date, but also they uh, are resolving the problems or solving the problems in the right way. Or if they don't know, like that they use and leverage internally the right uh, experts, whether it's technical experts or industry experts in some cases. Incredible. Um, you know, um, like the world of data science and AI, especially because I make a difference generally between data science and AI. Yeah. For me, AI is, there is much more R&D, you understand, and then data yeah. science as, as, we, we, as people understood, let's say it like this. So, yeah. but like back, like I like the vision of uh, Jeremy Asian, the CEO yeah. of uh, Data Robot that I met in Harvard. Few, yeah. like a few years ago <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, I was like um, invited in Washington in in a conference like uh, early 2020 and it was nice because I meet many business leaders from data robots as well there that's why I like that's why I said oh there's Andre so nice to invite you as well in order to learn much more about your experience and and have this discussion about AI for exponential business so I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have you today so let's move to one of the the topic that the tricky topic about trust yeah, yeah. Trust technology let's talk about technology transparency and trust as yeah. you work on building ai products and services and from your perspective how can we build transparent and trust ai technology yeah it's actually a great question and and i think i would say today one of the biggest barriers of adoption of machine learning and ai uh, is actually trust it's trust at, and it trusts at multiple levels. So think about like, let's, let's, let's be like two, 200 years ago, uh, we were like starting the industrial revolution uh, and uh, we, st we were starting to see like the first uh, or like steam machine machines. Uh, so at that time, uh, like we, 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 we had to trust the machine. So there were new machines that no one knew about. And let's say some of those, can, some of those machines can be dangerous or they can make like things that could really affect the humans. So, so we had to kind of gain a certain level of trust before we started to adopt those technologies. It always takes time and it takes efforts. It takes changes in people, in processes and in tools. I'd say today uh, we have more and more the tools that allow uh, like us to trust AI, uh, but we still have a lot of changes that we need to make on, on both people and on processes as well. Um, so I'd say first let's define trust and AI trust. Trust is that there are three core components of trust. First, you need to understand uh, what uh, the system is doing. So in that case, AI. So you need to define uh, like hazards or risks and thresholds. Um, second, it's the action uh, that you need to take if those risks happen. So you need to like once uh, when the, the system makes a decision and like probably the decision is wrong or something, you need to be able to define guardrails to mitigate the hazards, uh, both the severity or the likelihood of it. And third is about being able to explain. So. Uh, when the system makes something, makes a decision, so when the AI like, makes a, like gives you a prediction, for example, yeah. uh, you should be able to explain what the prediction is doing. So uh, you need to be able to document uh, like the, the decision. You, be able, you need to be able to uh, communicate what are the potential risks and what might happen uh, before even you uh, start using the system. So it's really three components around understanding, actioning, and explaining. And then like, uh, you have a lot of different measures you can define for trust. So... Um, Trust can be at multiple levels. One, one would be about performance. So uh, let's say an AI makes a decision. Is this decision actually precise or accurate? Uh, is it robust? Is it stable? Is it done in the right amount of time? 
the second is more operational. So uh, let's say an AI is operating independently. Uh, like, uh, can you trust, like if you let, let the AI alone, so if you, uh, if you don't do anything, uh, do you have like a monitoring system in place that ensures that the AI is not doing something completely wrong? Uh, is the AI humble enough if it makes a decision? Do you have like some business rules that are embedded in the AI or not? Is it secured enough? So it's really the, the operational aspects. And then the third one would be more the interpretability and the ethical aspects uh, of, of trust. So uh, is the decision made by the AI ethical? From uh, Is it something from business or, or regulatory standpoint that you are, uh, that is eth uh, ethical and that you're allowed to make? Is it interpretable? Do you have a governance process in place? What is the social impact of your AI? So all of those have to be considered. And for all of those dim dimensions, you need to have tools to be able to measure uh, yeah. whether your AI's performance, whether it's good from an operational perspective and from an ethical perspective. Uh, and you need to have like people who take care of this uh, and are ensuring that whatever, uh, whenever an AI system is built, it can be trustworthy. Uh, and, and then you'll also need to have the, like, the processes. So those, those people who put processes in place and would ensure that they, are, they get adopted. So that if you have a data science team or an AI expert team, like building like some of those systems, uh, they should be able to um, uh, like, uh, explain like, the ethical aspects of their AI. They should be able to explain the operational aspect, the governance around it, the performance of it. So all of those need to be documented. So it's a lot of processes to change, a lot of things to document. And so trust is really important because at the end of the day, if you can't trust your AI, so it would mean like data center, you have like uh, silos in your company between the, the AI team or AI like, modeling team, like building something, uh, but then the IT team would not trust that the, the AI system can be put into a production system. It would not be, let's say, trusted enough from an operational standpoint, probably. Uh, and then if, if, if both the IT team and the AI team are not able to explain what's happening and all the risks and everything, then how would the business adopt it? At the end of the day, you want the business to adopt your AI so that they can generate value and change the business process. In order for them to adopt it, they need to trust that your AI is reliable not making uh, wrong decisions and they need to understand all the risks associated to it. And so, yeah, I think one of the main barriers of scalability for AI is, is actually trust today. And, and I, I would say, like you explained very well, and I would, I would add that, that the trust, again, it's like trust between people. There yeah. is no magic, right? They, you need to build this trust with people as well. Exactly, so it's the yeah. same with AI or with AI product, let's say it like this, because the AI product will never... Uh, uh, produce something that it's out of nothing. There is something it's coming from the people who are putting this hypothesis, you know, and working on the mathematical aspect, but also there is the data there. So these two, uh, in, uh, you know, two, two source of information that we need to trust on. So if you trust on, for sure, the result will be okay. But again, these people behind the scenes. So you, you need to understand if you trust on AI products, you need to trust on those people who are building those products as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You need to trust <laughs> those people and you yeah. need to trust the processes put, put in place for sure. Yeah. Definitely. In a couple talks uh, two years ago, you mentioned a part of your work on pervasive machine learning automation. For yeah. the understanding of our audience, what do you mean by this and what's your biggest challenges? Yeah. So pervasive machine learning automation. So that's uh, actually, I, that's the term I used. I mean, let me explain each term and, and probably it will make more sense. But um, first, uh, data robot, uh, like uh, for the, the audience who is not aware, um, data robot, we, we are uh, the pioneers of automated machine learning. 
so uh, is the, the this, this idea of of the um, the fact that you can create and deploy and um, manage uh, like machine learning systems. So like a, a machine learning is a type of AI. So machine learning systems that can and you can do it in a very very highly automated fashion. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, what I mean by pervasive mach uh, automated machine learning or pervasive machine learning automation is that um, I think one of the main barriers um, like to achieve all of what we have discussed about trust, because uh, mm -hmm. it's so hard to achieve that, you need a lot of automation. And so automation allows two things. So first, it needs to be pervasive, meaning that... For the rest of our discussion, you are welcome to subscribe in the link below and via our website www.aiexponentialthinker.com to receive our free episodes, programs and content. Our mission is helping you develop your potential and find the best job for your next step. Help yourself and join us to be AI Exponential Thinkers.